0: My name is Byron Moore. Um, I am from the metropolis of Ruston, Louisiana, about 60 minutes to the east of Shreveport. Come on, go, dog. You're not a dog, are you? No, I'm not. But I got Grambling a kid. Tiger, maybe. I got, a kid there. I got a kid there. Well, that's more important. We love your heart to be in Ruston. It's more important that your money is there. So thank you, sir. Well, the year was 1637, and an economic and speculative frenzy began in Holland. And it all had to do with a product that had been introduced into Holland by the Turks in the mid-1500s, 1550s to be exact. And when shortages of this product began to be great, prices began to go up as what happens in economics. As prices continued to rise, businessmen began to agree simply to buy the product sight unseen and what amounted to um, commodity futures in the product. Records show that one local politician whose salary was, in Holland, 500 guilders at the time, made over 60,000 guilders in four months. For perspective's sake, that's a guy making 50 grand a year, earning $6 million over a four-month period of time. When the bubble finally burst, as these bubbles always do, it was a national catastrophe for Holland. The economic shockwaves were felt all the way to London in Paris, and all over Europe. So what was the object of this speculative frenzy? It was a tulip. In fact, really, more specifically, it was a tulip bulb. And so we look at that, and we hear it was really, perhaps, uh, on a relative basis, the greatest economic speculative bubble in the history of man. Um, and we think, what fool would invest in a tulip bubble. And before the word fool rolls off our tongues too quickly, let me remind you of a few names from the past. Compact Computers, Kodak, Radio Shack, Enron, slightly different category. Blockbuster, Pan American Airlines, Polaroid Cameras, all names that once stood astride their industries, commanded their market share, and yet today no longer exist. Let me ask you a question. What is a fool? What is a fool? Jesus is going to give us a description of one. A fool is someone who lives his life according to the way that he thinks or feels or wishes things were not in accordance with the way things are. Now, there are a lot of opportunities in life for us to be fools. Some are more attractive than others and one of the most attractive areas and inviting areas for us to be fools is in this area of money. And so this morning we're going to look at a man whom Jesus called a fool. A man who thought that he could live rich but never stopped to think that one day his particular bubble would burst. As we look at this very Short parable that Jesus told, we're going to see that any fool can be obsessed with money, but it takes a unique individual to be truly rich. So let me set the stage for us. If you have a Bible, you might want to open to Luke chapter 12. Jesus is doing some teaching to some really large crowds. He is laying some really heavy truth on the Pharisees, most of which is negative about them. He's laying some really hard truth on his followers and telling them that life is not always going to be easy for them and so he's offering them some very significant heavenly comfort and as he rolls through this teaching some guy stands up in the middle of it all about verse 13 and he raises his hands and he asks one of those questions just kind of makes you so my, my field is financial planning financial advising so I deal with a lot of people who think about their money, and people think more weirdly about their money when they think about the end of their life than maybe any other time. And so this guy stands up and he asks Jesus in the middle of this life-changing teaching about deep spiritual matters, he asks Jesus an estate planning question with legal overtones. And he says, Teacher. Tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Were we talking about that? And so Jesus simply tells the guy, man, who appointed me to be a judge or arbiter over you? Now, of course, in one sense, Jesus is (laughs) the judge and the arbiter over this guy. But his point was not, that's not my role. His point was, it's not time to talk about that right now. But by asking me that question, you are opening a massive window to your heart. And you're telling me where your heart is. So let me tell you a story, Jesus says. Then he said to them, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. They told him a parable, and the parable begins like this, the land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops, and on and on the story will go, but The first part of what I want to talk to you about this morning is Jesus is actually going to give us some great instruction on how to absolutely ruin your life, on how to be a fool in the area of finances, in the area of material possessions. He's going to give us a roadmap of how to be a fool, if that's the map that we want to follow. Thankfully, he's also going to give us another alternative, but first we're going to look at the instructions on how to be a fool. So, the first way, the first step in, in, in order to be a fool is to fail to acknowledge God. Fail to acknowledge God. There's nothing in the text to indicate that this man's land had become productive by any kind of ill gotten methods. It appears that God had simply blessed his labors and blessed the productivity of the land and caused the soil to be so fertile that it produced bumper crops. But where is God in any of this man's thinking? So Jesus is obviously using this very extreme story where this guy just gets all rich out of all proportion to anything that he could have imagined, and then he just completely credits himself with that productivity. And so the first step for us to become fools is to overemphasize our own, our own importance in the sovereign process of God creating productivity. the Old Testament, there is a passage, that I, I don't remember where it is because it just came to mind. I think it's in the book of Deuteronomy. Remember, one of you smart guys can look it up and tell us later on, where it talks about, I am the one that gives you the power to create wealth. When good times come your way, when the raise comes, when the bonus comes, when in, in my part of the country, you know, people get a call from a an oil landman and he says, I got some good news for you. We want to lease your property because there's something about 12,000 feet under it that we found that we think might be making both of us happy. And we, I've, I know people that have been of very modest means all their life and all of a sudden they got $100,000 a month in royal, oil revenues coming in. They had nothing to do with that. But a guy like this and maybe a guy like you and me can fail to acknowledge God and this foolish man reasoned only with himself and credited only himself for his apparent success. And by reasoning only with himself, he doomed himself to the misguided conclusion that God was not relevant to his life or to his economic pursuits. How about you? When God brings gain... Do you thinking? Do you realize that it is his hand that has brought that? Or like this guy, do you say, well, now look what I did. Look what I did. Well, if you want to be a fool, then failing to acknowledge God is an important first step, but you don't want to stop there. You want to go on to the second step, which is to overemphasize yourself. Look in verse 17. He says, he begins reasoning with himself, saying, what shall I do? since I have no place to store my crops. And then this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns, and I will build larger ones, and I will restore my grain and my goods. Do you see a little bit of a pattern there? It's all about me. How about you? Is it all about you? Are all of your conversations about you? Are all of your thoughts about you? your success, your pain, your opportunity, your missed opportunities, your job, your problems, your boss, your friends, your disappointment, your aspirations, your church. You see, we can be spiritual, but we can be spiritual narcissists, where we are the center of the universe, our universe. And God is just one of the objects that revolves around us very conveniently coming into view when he needs to fathers are you in the process of raising selfish children you cater to their every whim when they whine do you shine when they cry do you fly to the rescue or do you know that some pain and some suffering is really very good for your children Unless it's your objective to raise a generation of fools, and if it is, then this is a textbook example of how to get there. You fail to acknowledge God, you overemphasize yourself, and then thirdly, you overindulge yourself. That's the third thing, you overindulge yourself. You can't imagine sounding anything like this guy when he says, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones and I'll store my grain and my goods, and I will sit back and I'll say, Soul, you have many goods laid up for your years to come. Eat, drink, and be merry. Again, just a ridiculously extreme example. It sounds too much like Thomas Carlyle when he said, Let me have my own way exactly in everything in a sunnier and pleasanter disposition you will never meet. (laughs) Now, we're a lot more subtle. We say things like, I work hard, I deserve it. You think this is a lot? you got to see what he's got. I don't believe God wants me unhappy. Larry Crabb said, feeling better has becoming more important to us than finding God. See, we live in an age of such significant material wealth and opportunities that the ability to over, over, overindulge ourselves is all around us. I mean, we don't have serious poor people anywhere around us. I mean, there are people that have challenges, but we live in a massively wealthy age. We overindulge ourselves in what we eat, in what we drink, in how we entertain ourselves, in how we spend our leisure hours, in how we spend our material wealth on ourselves. Discipline is saying no to something of less importance so that we can say yes to something of greater importance. Fools despise discipline. Overindulge yourself. Now, if you want to be a rich fool, then we're going to have to fail to acknowledge God We're going to overemphasize ourselves. We're going to then overindulge ourselves. And then finally, we're going to leave eternal decisions until later. Verse 20, as the preacher said, payday comes someday. And payday came to this guy. But God, oh, who? God suddenly enters the story as he will in every life. It's amazing how we can just putter along in life as if he wasn't there. And all of a sudden, he invades our reality with our mortality. And in this case, God says to him, you fool. This very night, your soul is required of you. And now, who will own what you have prepared? so is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And so he left eternal decisions until later. Jonathan Evans reminded us uh, just yesterday of 2 Corinthians 5, chapter 10, uh, verse 10. 2 Corinthians five ten, that says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Well, that's enough on how to be a fool. Do you understand that life is a fragile bargain that God can rescind at any time? As Jonathan said, we don't know who's old in this room because we don't know when the last day is. We know our birthday, We don't know our death date. But if you don't want to be a fool, if you, don't, if you do want to make sure that you're becoming rich in the way that Jesus defined rich, then let's turn the page and look at what Jesus said the definition of rich was. What does it mean? Well, so he says to his disciples after he finishes with that parable and warning them about the need to be rich toward God, he said to his disciples, for this reason. For what reason? For the reason that it's so easy to be a fool toward God. For that reason, I say to you, don't worry about your life as to what you're going to eat or for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they don't sow or reap and they don't have a storeroom or a barn, and yet God feeds them. How much more valuable you are than the birds, and which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you can't even do this very little thing, adding a moment to your life's span, if you can't do this very little thing, why worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They don't toil or spin, but I tell you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these, but if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more? Will he clothe you? Oh, you men of little faith. Greed and materialism don't require a lot of money. Greed can manifest itself, as Jesus said, in a number of different forms. If you've got a lot, then maybe it manifests itself like it did in this man, in the form of hoarding. I'm just going to take it in. I'm going to keep it all. I'm going, to, I'm going to keep back more than I need. The rich fool is not responsible. He's selfish. He's going way beyond the responsible actions of a person seeking to provide for his own needs and for those of his family. But what about for a person that doesn't have a lot? So that, for that person, greed is not a problem, right? No. He's still got the same human heart. He just doesn't have all the stuff, maybe ever or maybe yet. So in that person's life, perhaps greed manifests itself or materialism manifests itself itself in the form, as Jesus said to his disciples, who were not people of great wealth. He warns them that this kind of materialism would manifest itself to them in the form of worry. Instead of being obsessed of all that I've got and hoarding, I'm obsessed with all that I don't have and I worry. And Jesus said, be on your guard against all forms of greed, the kind that comes when you've got a lot, like most Americans, frankly, or that comes when you don't have a lot. And frankly, you may have a lot by the world's standards or by historical standards, but because everybody is telling you how much more you're supposed to have, and everybody's comparing you with you and him with him and my address and my job and my retirement plan and my this and my that, and I'm comparing myself with everybody, I'm worried. This is what people always ask me. They're kind of getting me over to the side, and they'll say, you know, Baron, for a guy my age and a guy making what I'm doing, am I okay? Now, what he's saying is, how do I compare with everybody else? Now, some guys are saying, am I going to make it? But what they're really saying is, how do I compare? Okay? Jesus says, <laughs> you're comparing yourself with the wrong thing because you're comparing yourself with somebody who's going to lose all his stuff in the end. We need to compare ourselves with the one that will provide stuff that will go on. And so the first step in being rich is to regard God as your provider, to regard God as your provider. Now, this is not permission to be irresponsible. This is direction that through a, a, a consciousness of God, through a dependence on God, and a gratitude toward God, we look to Him to supply our needs through our work. We look to Him to supply our needs through our work. See, we got to get comfortable with the fact that God uses us to fulfill His will in a lot of ways. And as men, one of the most basic ways that He uses us to fulfill His will is He provides for people under our care through our work. Guys, we were made for that. You were made to be fulfilled To provide. It's not a sin to love to work, to love to provide, and at the end of the day, of working hard, to say, Lord, thank you for providing whatever it is that you did. Now, I'll be honest with you, Lord, I'm a little worried about this other area over here because I don't know how I'm going to send my kid to college. I don't know how I'm going to pay that credit card off. I don't know how that medical bill is going to be paid. But today, I went to work, and I got to work, and I got to do some things, and it felt good to work. Thank you for today's job. I thank you for that, Lord. That's not sinful. That's righteous. That's what you and I were made for, okay? So you thank God at the end of the day and the week and the month when He gives you the opportunity to work. It's significant what you do, that you're a provider. But you do so under God's direction and under the... the, the the awareness, the awareness, the regarding of God as your provider. Right, second, in the, 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 the path to riches, include God in your decision-making process. Look at verse 29. And don't seek what you will eat or what you will drink, and don't keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows that you need these things. But seek His kingdom and these things will be added to you. I like what it says in Matthew 6.33, almost the same sentence, slightly different. Matthew 6.33, it says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So how do you make your decisions? Usually we kind of split it up, don't we? We got the big ones. Lord, who am I going to (laughs) marry? Not that one. Who am I going to marry? Not that one. Who am I going to? I found one that said yes. Big ones. Where where am I going to work? Where am I supposed to go to college? Kind of big decisions. Do you think maybe he cares about the little decisions? I think so, too. I think so, too. I think he cares about all the decisions. I think he cares what, the way that you spend your leisure time. I think that he cares how you spend your money. I think he cares whether or not you are addressing your anger issue. See, I don't think there's any compartments that we have with God. I mean, we get in trouble. We're compartmentalizers, okay? And, and, and that's a good thing, and it's a, good, it's a not good thing. But the not good part of it is that sometimes we can compartmentalize God. He don't fit. We don't have a compartment that big. He's over the whole thing. And when we're under the illusion that we can compartmentalize him, that's where we get in trouble. Jesus said in Luke 16, 10, he who's faithful in a little thing is also faithful in much. And he who is unrighteous in a little thing is also unrighteous in much. James introduces us to the concept of the double-minded man. Literally, the word is two-spirited. The double-minded man, and what it says in in chapter one of James about the double-minded man, is that he's unstable in all his ways. He got a foot over here and a foot over here, and I just can't do much like that. I, I don't. I'm just not solid. I'm just kind of stretched out. And the more these words, these worlds, you know, pull apart, eventually my inflexibility gets very apparent. Okay, a two-spirited man, a double-minded man. Do you have a God-included part of your life and a God-not-included part? Any chance that any of us don't include God in our work? In our, hello, tax return. Oh, geez, you're messing now. Your recreation, your anger, your financial decisions. If you want to be rich, really rich, truly rich, in the things that Jesus said would last and would, would matter, then you're going to have to regard God as your provider. You're going to have to include God in every decision of your life. I'm going to have to start talking fast now. And we're going to have to choose faith in God over fear. Some of us are more comfortable with the known companions of fear and anxiety than the unknown and uncontrollable Father who is God. We're comfortable with our fears. We're comfortable with our anxieties. And yet Jesus said, your father in verse 32, don't be afraid, little flock. That's a tender word. I, I love the fact that the God of the universe would look at me and he would call me and us little flock. That's a tender word. And in an even more tender word, or it should be, he says, for your father. Not just the the the, the mighty, and these are true things, not just the mighty, wrath-filled, justice-oriented, sovereign, creator of the universe. He could have called him any of those things rightfully. He said, your father. Your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. That's a tender term, and that's a tender emotion, gladly. Now, where we kind of get stuck is the last part, (laughs) what he's fitting to give us. Your Father has chosen gladly to give us the kingdom. C.S. Lewis said, aim at heaven and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you'll get neither. Again, Lewis said, there's no good in applying to heaven for earthly comfort. Heaven can give heavenly comfort and no other kind. And earth cannot give the comfort of either. There is no earthly comfort in the long run. Part of the process of choosing faith over fear is trusting that what he provides, the kingdom, what he chooses to define as valuable, the kingdom, is what we will ultimately find desirable. Our taste buds may need to change. So finally, we, if we want to be rich, We're going to have to regard God as our provider, include God in our decision making processes, choose faith in God over fear, and finally, have heaven as our investment objective. In the world of investments, we have something that we watch very carefully, and that is a particular investor's objective. When do you need this money? Why do you need it? What are you going to need it for? So if somebody has a bunch of money and they bring it to me and they say I'm going to use this in 12 months to make a down payment on a house, I don't have any business putting them in something that would be what anybody would regard as a 10-year investment objective, that's something that they really shouldn't touch for 10 years. I don't need to be planting pine trees that are going to grow for the next 20 years for somebody that's going to want money to invest in a a house in 12 years. So the timetable is incredibly important. If your investment objective is, um, well, let me put it this way. G. Campbell Morgan said, if you make your fortune in earth, poor silly soul, you've made a fortune and you've stored it in a place where you can't hold on to it. Well, it's a merciless test, but if you want to make an accurate and objective assessment of your priorities, exactly where your heart is, I I don't really care what it says in your Bible study book. Let me look at your calendar, because that tells me where you spend your time. And let me look at your bank account, because that will tell me how you spend your money. Um, One of the privileges and one of the devastating things in my work is is, uh, is I see the tax returns of everybody that I work with. Now, you can lie on a tax return, but a lot of people don't. They just lie outside of the tax return. So I, I I see what some people and 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 I'll see the part because there's a part on the tax return that tells what you give. Now it's not the only place that indicates what your values are, but I see what the income is and I see what the giving is. And I'll just tell you, I'm I'm both blown away and saddened in different times. I'm blown away by some people that I thought, I can't believe they give that much. It's unbelievable. I hope you may may or may not know, it's a well-known fact in the United States that poorer people give more money relative to, and and that's not poor people, but I mean just poorer, and wealthier people tend to give less as a percentage of the income that they make and the assets they have. And so, you know, you can talk all you want to, but what you do with your time and what you do with your money is really what you're valuing. Well, Arnold Glasgow said that we all know a fool when we see one, but not when we are one. So maybe this morning what we can do is hold up this mirror that Jesus has provided and ask ourselves if we are not living our lives in accordance with the way that we wished things were, not in accordance with the way they really are. In fact, we can speculate on the equivalent of a tulip or a has-been company, or something that cannot possibly last. We can can trade the eternal for the temporal, and all too soon the books will be closed to be examined, and the real values of the junk that we own will be revealed. So Jesus has given us a gift this morning. He's given us this parable, this story, in order for us to beware, to look out, to wake up, to evaluate to be on your guard against every form of greed. Greed in its many forms will not make us forget that life has a bigger picture, that even when we have a lot, that life does not consist of our possessions. Wouldn't you rather be rich according to Jesus' currency, according to Jesus' calculation? If so... And I want to invite you to to, to regard God as your provider in everything, to include God in your decision-making processes, to choose faith in God over fear of the future or what you do or don't have, and to have heaven, heaven as your investment objectives. That's not going to be an easy thing, but if I take Jesus seriously at his word, that's going to be a pretty important transaction for all of us to make. Let me pray for us, and then I'll give you a quick announcement about the transition that we're going to make. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each man here. You know their hearts. You know their needs. Uh, Father, for those that have special needs this morning, provide for them. For those that need to make decisions to follow you more closely, Lord, give them courage to do that. Thank you for the grace to speak to all of us this morning. We love you. We need to hear your voice, and we desire to do so in Jesus' name. Amen.